Hello and welcome to the Blueprint Podcast powered by eFuse. The Blueprint creates content revolving around the do's and don'ts of collegiate and scholastic esports while keeping our audience informed on the facts of the space. We aim to give people in the ecosystem a platform to air out misconceptions, call out bad practices, or just have a soapbox to stand on and discuss whatever is important to them. I am your host, Andy Mendez, and today with me, as always, is my co-host, Michael Wiesness, and special guest, Troy Shafari. Welcome to the Blueprint. No, <laughs> I think I think all the directors they, they they assume a little bit too much, um, and then they get hit like uh, like like you just did. So I, I would say, what is the one thing? You know, outside of just relaxing, you know, having that time to sit back and relax, what is the one thing scheduling wise I sort of that you learned about your work over the summer to kind of break it down? You mentioned marketing decks and preparing things for your students and and getting ready for the next year. Like, how would how do you think you're going to go into next year preparing that and strategizing that? Probably going to be different for me next year. I mean, if I was going to have the same circumstances this year going into mm-hmm. next year. Yeah, I would have like a a rubric for how that's going to look. But the point in my program where I'm proving how much I actually make the school Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be one of those programs, hopefully, that's going to be filling in a lot of those staff voids that you see a lot of school. Like you see a lot of schools running with one or two people managing like 100 students or whatnot. That's what my program is now. It's I'm at 80 esports students uh, near 300 club and then it's me and a assistant and wow it's just not enough but in there... terms of like how much we're making the school and uh, the ROI and everything like that it's becoming kind of a no brainer that we will be getting more help and we're going to hopefully be one of those example bases that other schools can use to justify that having a coach per game which is my goal for the program is going to be a standard hopefully a standard in the future because that's, that's what athletics have you know no reason for us to not have that's it that's incredible and i think i think uh, we, we we mentioned this a few times in our podcast before that the role of a like a program director for esports is a lot like an athletic director right you're you've got so many games and so many like teams and people to manage that it makes sense to have a coach dedicated to to every game that you possibly can right and and pro- yeah. probably schools will will start this process by prioritizing the bigger titles, like most likely League of Legends will have its own manager, Overwatch, um, and then depending on what is more more uh, prevalent in, in collegiate. So speaking of your teams, and what are the kind of the bigger teams that you have at, uh, at your university? Well, there's like different conversations for, for what like bigger is. So for some sure. reason, Rainbow Six is really uh, popular here. I have a lot of recruits for it. When we do tryouts every summer, there's 20 to 30 of them. We only keep 10 on our esports roster. Wow. Uh, so the assistant I hired, I got a Rainbow Six hire uh, last year. Very um, nice. In terms of competitive, it, it really ebbs and flows here. This school is very, very academic. So sometimes we do well. So like my Valorant team does well. My league team's currently doing well. Overwatch did well in the past. So I'll get attention and players that want to come here. And if their GPA isn't near a 3.2 or a 3.3, it's very, very hard for them to come here. And most players that are within like top 500 of their game or challenger or whatever game, you know, in their rank, they're usually not at that threshold with GPA. And it's that's a bummer, but that's like the realistic sense of it. Um, 
so it, it really ebbs and flows like in terms of competitiveness how good my games are going to be or not yeah it's interesting yeah. that you bring up the the low the low gpa you know saying that it's not is that something anecdotally that you, you've seen or um in terms of like studies that have been coming up that you're starting to see um that that occurring or just let kick that to you I don't think that high school and college or scholastic esports has become as universal as a lot of us working in it think it is yet. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been doing this like amateur league and stuff like that since 2013, 2014. And it, it was really common. And it still is common for the people who are going to go near going pro or have an actual chance. They're still basically dropping out of school or they're still not going to college. It's uh it's just too much time out of their day when they yeah. could just be grinding and taking one or two years off. But I do get a good amount of students that, you know, they'll take one or two years off. And this is actually one of the recruits I got this year. Uh, took one or two years off, tried to go pro, didn't go pro. And now they're like, okay, you know, that didn't work out. And they just start up at a community college to get their GPA back up and they want to attend a good school and they're using their talent to get their scholarship, which is the main reason why we're all doing the job that we're doing. Definitely. How often would you say that you recruit from community college versus high school? And if, if the numbers just aren't there yet in projected in the future, how often do you think community colleges are going to make an impact on like collegiate recruiting? I wish I had way better tracking of what I do with my recruiting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm honest very often when I say this, I put the least amount of effort in my recruiting. So by the end of the year, I'm probably only doing like 600 hours recruiting. And most of that is people that have already wanted to come here and they just want to talk to me and I'm having them go through the flow of uh, admissions and getting their scholarship and stuff like that and just talking with their families. So yes, I do put effort in, but I don't put like a top priority, like setting aside a couple hours in a week to recruit. Um, But with saying that, I think I get, uh, you guys know who Chris is from Game Arena and Esports Foundry, I think. Yeah. Uh, on his statistics sheet, I'm one of the top recruiters in the nation. So last year I was at 45 recruits this year. I'm at 60 recruits. Um, and it's, I'm starting to find out it's because of how I structure my scholarship, uh, to be, I'm just way more open to get more recruits. And I'm also way more open with, uh, the different divisions that are starting to be established within esports division of competition. Can you open that up a little bit more in terms of your scholarship on why do you think that's a little bit more uh, favorable uh, to potential recruits? Yeah. And the only reason I'm kind of like, yeah, saying it's favored because I get really good numbers. A lot of people that I talk to do not get my numbers and they ask me why or how, and I don't have the answer. They say like what the secret sauce is. I don't know. I mean, I do talk to my recruits just like normal humans. And if my school works out, um, I have it work out for them. Um, Sorry, someone walked in my office and I'm shooing them away. <laughs> uh, put me back in track. What was I talking about? Your scholarship, opening that up a little bit more and how that contributes to your numbers. Um, What's the difference? People want to know the secret sauce. of Yeah, that secret sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So most directors, what they do is they, they're giving a pool, given a pool of money from their admissions or controller's office or something that's going to be the scholarship they hand out. And it was almost going to be the case for me four years ago when I started here. And it's usually they give you like 10,000 if you're a small school, 50,000 if you're a bigger school, 100,000 if you're a state school. Um, Most directors, when they come in, they're like, okay, I'm going to get a full red team. I'm going to be competitive in the game I like, be it League or Overwatch or Call of Duty or whatever game, right? And that's what a majority of them do. They don't really think about like a different option. 
And when I came into the job, I'm not very big on making my own goal. I want to have my goal be what the people that hired me to do, like synergize with that goal. So I knew I was coming in to promote STEM recruiting. I knew I was coming in to promote recruiting in general. And when they gave me a pool of $50,000, I said, I could get way more recruits if you just let it be a ratio. If every recruit that I get gets a certain amount, and if I get a better player, I can make them like a stellar player award and give them a little bit more. I asked the question, like, will the school still make money? And it was like a blasphemous, like, yes, of course we're going to make money. And I said, don't even give me a pool of money then. Just let me be free and no limitations. And I think I could go far with it. So year one, I only had two games. I was recruiting around like 20 people and I wasn't, I wasn't tracking it very well. Uh, year two, I was doing 45. This year I'm doing 60. The only extracurricular thing at the school that's recruiting more than me is football and they get around like 75. So being in Ohio and coming close to the recruiting numbers is football. It's changed a lot of their minds a lot. And I'm able to request for more. Like if I want more facilities, which I do, I want to have like a console room. I want to have fighting games. I want to have all the sports games. I want to have call of duty. I'm, I'm getting that leeway now because I, I, I showcased like loyalty to their goal. Yeah. And now they're giving me room to be even more autonomous than I was before. And, be given even more support. Well, another question I have for you is I want to, I want to know what it would be like to be a potential recruit for you and going to put you into a different uh, seat than we've done. And Andy, you know, this than any other, you know, collegiate director we've had, but I want to know how you approach that recruit. Like what is, you're not selling, you know, that we're going to go pro. I I believe you're not trying to sell that you're, you're going to be one of the best teams in the nations. Okay. So you do, can, can you go ahead and say, give us a short little pitch on what that sort of looks like for a potential recruit. And see my, my pitch would never be the same per recruit. I really try to tap into, I really try to tap into what they empathetically want. And if they don't Mm -hmm. know, I just try to get them to ask me questions, you know, okay. Small school, big school, what degree do you want? And as you ask more and more questions and they don't know the answer, then you, so like if you start asking a lot of scholastic questions and they don't know anything and they haven't thought about that and you can see that their parents have tried to push them as well and they're still not thinking about that, then you know you have someone that's more concerned about their game. And then if I'm sitting there with the parent, I'll go into, you know, you can use your talents, still have a plan B if it doesn't work out. I've been through a lot of situations where it doesn't work out. But at the same time, we have teams here that are developing and see if they can mold in with that. And if they're around that skill level and they can develop alongside with my teams, yes, it would make sense for them to come here. But then if I can tap into a little bit more of they're on the heavy grind and they should be at a full ride or they're not even considering college at all, then full ride is basically their only passionate option. And then I start getting a hold of the people that do have full ride scholarships to provide them. Um, and usually just talking like that, very human and very genuine with them, gets them talking to me over other directors, even if they're looking at like a, a full ride school. So I've had plenty of students that are prospects that I send off to other schools like Harrisburg or Maryville or Boise State or something like that. And as they're talking to those directors there, they're telling me what those directors are telling them and trying to see if they're being honest with them. So this is like a weird thing that I, I wasn't even planning for, but I, I get to learn a lot about all these other schools just because these players really trust me because I'm genuine with them. They show that I'm really trying to understand what it is they want 
and ask, getting them to ask me questions, not me, you know, telling them things that I'm assuming. Right. So it's building that relationship with that student potential or that prospect uh, before even they walk in the door, essentially, and and just sh- really showing them that you care about their future, right? Which is which is I think as someone who who has sent students, right? I've, I used to work in high school esports. Um, that's something that we would love to hear about, right? That's per- to personally to us, it makes more sense for us to send our students to first of all a school that fits, right? It's not always about the esports, right? It's got to be like they they have to fit within that school, within that ecosystem. Um, but hearing that a director actually has and, and takes the time, not only has the time, but takes the time to communicate at that level with the recruit, because um, you're just not going to find that at some of the bigger, not only the bigger schools, but even bigger esports schools. Like, it, it's almost like, you know, with, with if you take an example like Maryville or, or Harrisburg, and I, I don't have anything good or bad to say about the recruiting style because I don't, I don't know enough about it, um, but I think that there's some value in being able to sit down with a director and kind of have an open, honest conversation about what uh, the, the future of esports looks like for a student. I, I commend you for that. I think that's awesome. Yeah, no, same here. Uh, I think it's a great way to have parents and their, and their child get introduced to esports in a very open and honest way and not um, sold snake oil. <laughs> you know yeah and that's my, literally what happens yeah. that's literally what happens at a lot of these schools and i i don't want to like especially publicly talk crap on anybody but i mean that's I, what this podcast is for i mean if you... but i'm starting <laughs> no. to learn i need to be so much more careful about it uh i get in trouble a lot <laughs> i mean you guys know yes, a little I, bit about me yes that <laughs> i get a... in trouble very often and the things you guys don't get to see or hear is i'm often often in my boss's office and he's like you know, maybe social media is not for you. You know, <laughs> you got a big learning curve that's happening. And uh, yeah, they're understanding because they didn't have to grow up with social media. So they didn't have to go through these pitfalls and heartaches that I'm going through. And some of the things that I'm saying, you know, are pretty relevant, but I'm just not being as tactful as I should be and not realizing that I'm a spokesperson for yeah something greater than myself like an institution speaking of which i I just want to kind of walk this conversation over that a little bit um because that's one of the things that we we were really looking forward to discussing with you troy is uh, your your twitter verse uh and how how uh vocal you are on social media and that's that to a lot of people i'm sure that's annoying but but it's a very good thing and that's actually one of the premises of the show why the show came about was because there were conversations happening on Twitter that should have been transferred to something digestible. And I, th- and yeah. I just want to kind of ask, without getting you back into s- trouble, uh, right? I you know, <laughs> want to make sure that you're, you've secured your job. I'll try my best. I'll but, try my best. <laughs> I, I want to I know what are some of the things that you've discussed on Twitter that you feel very passionate about that other people within even our smaller ecosystem within esports seem to either take offense to or... Uh, refuse to grow from i guess is is the kind of the question that i'm asking thing and also with you guys doing this as part of efuse is the recruiting aspect it's that's the biggest thing that keeps happening the recruiting aspect and like the uh the governing body type thing those are the two that i usually get like in a lot of trouble for um so like the recruiting aspect is like a lot of us directors like to pump chest and act like we're doing a great job and you know, being able to go to all these combines is like what we should be able to do. But a lot of us should not have the time to be able to do that. It, it needs to be way more 
direct and a little bit like dehumanized, which is weird to say. And I think it's a really honest thing to say is if we could just see like ways to contact the player. So like emails, phone numbers, stats about them, and then we can look it up ourselves. That's what a majority of us directors are going to be using to recruit people. But no recruiting platform wants to admit to that. Everyone wants to do like grand tournaments, showcases, uh, combines, things that I don't have time to watch. And sure. So, so it, I think it'd I think be great maybe, to have time to watch it, right? And it seems yeah. like uh, the, the that model is almost modeled after you know traditional sports, right? You want you want to be able to have a combine and show you know because people aren't just going to go and review footage, right? That's not that's not necessarily like yeah. But, but the problem with that is that esports hasn't grown to that caliber yet, right? So you can't send a team of three recruiters to three different combines all happening in the same weekend and have them all come back with like relevant stats that you would want to have for a recruit and other you're saying three recruiters too sorry to cut off like you're saying three recruiters too like even getting to the point of having a recruiter right exactly right now it's exactly what i'm it's a director that's getting called head coach at some places and you're looking over all these different games the ratio of student to director is sometimes like one to 50 like that's what it is here uh and then i'm looking across the hall i have football right across the hall from me and this is like something i got in trouble with recently but i'm okay with talking about it they have 12 coaches for nearly the same amount of players as me. And they also have a season, right? Like right. my League of Legends season's all year. Right. Yeah. Their football season is nine games, you know, how many weeks a year, something like that. Like, and it's not just League of Legends. You've got another I know. Yeah, yeah. six Watch, games to worry Rocket about. Rocket League, Smash yeah. Brothers, just to name a few. Yeah, and my program hosts a good amount as compared to others. So I have League, Overwatch, Valorant, Rocket League, CS, Rainbow Six, Apex, Fortnite, TFT, and Hearthstone. And each of those have two strings of teams. And I try to be as involved as I can with all the JV ones, um, as involved as I can be with all the varsity ones and having them be in one or two conferences per year. That's a lot. That's It averages near, so I have my calendar in front of me. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. We have twelve games this week, and I think that's around the average. You know, right. it's funny, right? You know, people look at esports and like, oh, that's easy. How hard could video gaming be? You know, it's and they usually get fired every, or quit. Yeah, first yeah, year. Just, you just plug everything in. It's like, well, how hard is football, right? You know, you just got to tell them to throw the ball around. You know, if you if you really want to do one thing and you have just one season, we're we're dealing with several different ones, and and that just comes with the stigma, and that also comes with the lack of education. But I I, I like to be optimistic and think that we're getting through that a little bit easier now than we were three, four, five, six years ago. Um, so I can see us going to maybe getting a coach per team or uh, a coach every two teams and yeah. developing that system where if we were, we go back a little bit, that that wasn't even talked about. That we, we were still looked like the gamers in the basement. Yeah, and I think within my goal, so next year I'm pretty confident in saying I'm going to have like four hires It'll be like a coach every one or two games. I'd still be covering the game I want to cover at league because I don't even know if I want to keep being a director or coach again. Um, but I think it should start to be normalized where you see esports director on the LinkedIn pages and then you see league coach, Overwatch coach, Valorant coach, like collegiate stuff like that. Absolutely. I think that's, 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 the that's ideal. what should start to happen. Absolutely. But yeah. I think we do have some more years to flow with that. I think right now, like Ohio has been... You know, three to four years doing this, five years in some cases, Illinois is catching up, Missouri is catching up, but it's it's just going to get, it's going to spread like wildfire soon. And uh, 
Garvey used a term that I wish I could remember right now, where there's going to be like a tip of the bell-shaped curve where there's enough people to fill these programs. And then who knows if we have enough after we get to that tip. But we're it's seeming like we're about to hit that tip with all the schools coming into it now. And I that's mean, why I think there's yeah. a lot of divisions that are going to be filled in soon. So still, most directors are looking at like high-end skill level. I would assume like diamond level and up. But there's going to be literally people that are bronze and silvers in their games getting scholarship. And it's going to turn into like a division three type thing that athletics has been doing. Yeah. And that's what I think I tapped into way earlier than a lot of other people. I would. That's an advantage. Just for, us, just for us to backtrack to, you know, a little bit, we're talking about the bell where now let's go back to the combines, right? The combines are coming out and they're trying to replicate traditional sports and we're trying to get sponsors for that. And we're trying to make it sexy, but to mm-hmm. be honest with you, not that many people are watching collegiate esports. Um, in, in certain areas, I mean, you could turn on CSL right now, and yeah. you'll you'll most likely see anywhere from twenty to about one hundred and twenty. Um, and then on a, on a good day, when it's like the the finals, you might see twenty five hundred. Um, so when you do a combine in a traditional sense, you know they have a bunch of sponsors that are going behind it. It's a televised event, but when you look at esports, it it isn't there, and that's that this ingenuity where you know you're throwing this combine it's supposed to be this big event all the directors and all the scouts are there and really it's just a few people and you know the directors are going to be looking on forums to see if they could just get that information for free and they might not go up to that um you know might be a nice little prize pool there but to be honest with you we're, we're not there for either the recruitment area we're not there for the coaching area and we're not there for the combine area and i like to say we're still three years out from that yeah it'd be even hard to predict because when i started this job i was i was making like three-year prediction and stuff like that and i'm just off and covid (laughs) kind of like turned that off a little bit too yeah it's like hard to predict with that but uh yeah i think it goes into just the small detail of like having the time to go to these combines and do all that stuff i would love to i would love to have someone that was hired that would love to like even if i would hate doing it which personally I don't like recruiting too much. I don't like scouting. I don't like a lot of that, but I do like developing players and I do like building a culture. So like, I would rather put all of my time into that, which is what I do and send someone else out to these scouting recruiting stuff. Right. But most places don't have that. And I don't have that now. I have an assistant. He also doesn't like to do that stuff as well. I'm never going to make someone do something that they're not passionate about. Cause then you just get impassionate work. That's not going to look too good or have a good result. Back to but, that kind of disingenuine, you know, kind of work. That you receive it just won't be to that effort that caliber that you know that someone who would be passionate about doing that would be yeah i totally understand that and to and to kind of go off of what you were mentioning about uh, garvey and his point um i think that collegiate esports almost works in revolution cycles right where the first the first major major upset to the industry was Robert Morris University off, use, yeah, Robert Morris University, excuse me, offering uh, college scholarships right for at, at that level? I think that that yeah. was a, a big revolution, and it was a big it was a big uh, upset to to esports. Um, and then all of a sudden, the collegiate scene sprouted from that. The high school scene had its seeds planted because of that, um, and then we kind of moved on from there. And it's been growth and growth and growth and growth. And at some point, I think there needs to be another huge event where a college finally takes that step and is like, yeah, we're hiring a full roster of people to run our, our program, right? And, and I'm, t- I'm talking about a little bit of a bigger 
scope than a place like Maryville, right? And a little bit of a yeah. bigger scope than a place like yeah. like, like Harrisburg. Um, but when you're Illinois, in, Illinois State's getting really close. Sorry, right, kind of right. forget. I will say, yeah, I've, Kirk, yeah. Kirk is Kirk, and and what is it, Jack? Or, or is it, yeah, I think it's yeah. Jack, I, met, Jack. I met Jack at Hugh Fest. He's awesome as well. But yes. they they have they're really close to what I think my ideal would be, and I think we we're all like in agreement what the ideal would be. But the thing is, all you need is a couple incremental steps, like you were talking about, where someone does this, and then someone's going to one up it, and they're going to exactly. one up it. Exactly. And that's that growth. Yeah, it's there, there's going to be someone that absolutely just demolishes anything anyone else has done because even with the amount of money that gets spent, so like a baseball stadium could cost anywhere from like one to five million dollars. An esports thing like what Illinois State's doing is going to be a fraction of that. Oh, My yeah. facilities is a small, small fraction of that, but the output and the return on investment is huge. Huge, yeah, absolutely. What do you think of Butler's uh, universities? You know the the arena their state quote unquote stadium that they're essentially building. What do, what do you think that's going to be? And do you think several other universities are capable of doing that? Are they going to, are they going to follow suit or do you believe they're going to one up Butler? I think it goes along with your point earlier. Like people aren't watching this stuff yet. So like mm. people getting that early into it. And this is like a controversial thing. I'm more than okay with getting in trouble with and saying, <laughs> I think it's very pointless to have arenas and stuff like that. I think what Boise state has is an enormous waste of money. And I, I'd be surprised if they even use that arena for spectator purposes often. And maybe mm. it would be used a little bit more often if they were in Ohio and they had 140 high schools near them and uh, 30 colleges near them and you could host finals, conference finals, little small invitee events. But I don't even know where Boise State is. Idaho, right? Yeah, Boise Boise's in Idaho. They probably um, don't have that many things near them, so they can't even tap into that. So it, it is really great and cool what they're doing, and it's going to provide a lot of uh, workable career growth for their students, which is what they're promoting themselves to be. And it is relevant because they're they're doing really good production, really good casting. They have all the relevant tools there for people to use, but in terms of like the realistic use from it, it's just not probably what was pitched saying, at the beginning. Are you saying the usage as like a competitive aspect? Because I, I, like I said, I do, I do see the, and, and this is, I'm not trying to be a contrarian here, but when you, oh, you go, feel free to, when, when you have like a facility like docks right over there at, yeah. at, at Boise, um, the, the, the amount, like for some, here's, here's kind of what I'm trying to say. If a student that wanted to learn about broadcast production, wanted to go to college, right? Their their number one choice would be Boise. For some reason, they can't make it. Let's say they're going to go to um, ISU, right? Yeah. In its current state, even though I, ISU is building out something, right? In its current state, the Redbird Arena is not going to be a better place for them to learn broadcast than Boise would be. If you even take out the academics of it, just just the atmosphere and just being in a, in that setting, is probably going to grow that student a little bit more than. I completely agree with that. I, uh, yeah. If I, think, if I was saying something outside of the context of that, what I was saying is more so the actual usage of it, getting parents to sit down and be at like, a finals or something like that. That's right. that's what I would assume what was pitched at the beginning. And uh, when I see a lot of schools uh, wanting to start up their program, they're saying, you know, we want a spectator arena. We want something like that. Yeah. And even my school thought I should – when they were pitching the idea to me, because I came in, they had nothing. They had no gaming club. And they wanted to have my facilities be in the middle of campus, around where people are going to see us, to have some kind of like spectator thing going on. And I don't believe esports was there. I don't think it is here now. 
and it's it's going to be a little bit longer. I think a lot of high schools and other colleges nearby need to be there in order to have like home games and away games and stuff like that. Right. And I think a, in Illinois it works. I think if 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 Boise was like in Illinois or like you said in Ohio, yes, yeah, that it would be insane because the, mm-hmm. the high school leagues in both of these states are incredibly active, yeah. and they There's would be using it every week, basically every week. I I, I yeah. would I wouldn't see otherwise, and and the college would eat that up. That's return on investment. Like and I few recruiting. Exactly. There's a few things too. Like what your what colleges I believe need to do is take into consideration of their location. what academically they excel in right and then found their arena on top of that not try to do we're going to build a big football stadium we're going to treat this like traditional sports but like what are our strengths boise and full sale is is, when you think of those two schools it's just broadcast broadcasting and production right and that's where they excel that's where they're going to do it so if i'm a kid and i just graduated high school and i'm very interested in esports and doing that and i'm uh, pr- fairly decent at the game, master's level, League of Legends player, then those are probably the two schools I want to go into because my backup is broadcasting, right? And that's what's sexy to it. I think schools that are going to attempt to be the football of traditional sports and build this all-encompassing stadium in the middle of nowhere are just doomed to fail because, as Troy pointed out, if you don't have the people around that area, the amount of high schools, community centers, or colleges there, you're, you're, you're basically building a home for none when you really have to build a home for the families and the people that are around and for the students that are interested in going to your university for the, uh, for outright, not just for the fact of going pro in esports. I mean, what do you, what do you guys think about that? Looking at each individual university building homes, essentially uniquely for them. Yeah, I think that's how it should be. I mean, that's what I did here. There's been a couple of schools near me that didn't do it exactly like that. And some of them like didn't have the choice. So like, mm-hmm. for instance, I think Akron has an awesome program, but I got to visit there very early into me building my own program. And uh, they're spread out all over campus. Like they, their incremental growth and like the rooms available to them was like super unfortunate. And I think this could even be the reason why they have people leaving like how Kirk left. Um, but it's like, they'll have 10, 20 PCs in one spot and they outgrew it as a state esports school should outgrow something that small. And then a five, 10 minute walk away, they have another thing, five, 10, five or 10 minute walk away, they have another thing. And that's just really hard to handle when you have still one or two people managing the whole program. Right. And you yeah. know, you can't even watch over your facilities. Yeah. T- to your point, like, it should make sense. Like you should have a director, especially build. There's a lot of schools that are building without having a director there. Uh, that's scary. That, that's it is very scary. scary. Yeah. I was, I was interviewing with, uh, Arizona state university and mm-hmm. I, I went pretty far in the, uh, interview process. And I think it was, I don't know if I'm saying things I shouldn't say, but like Greg actually beat me for that job, but Greg's working at riot now. Um, I probably wasn't going to accept that Arizona job because they have an interim guy there that doesn't know too much about esports building out everything. Ooh. And what it sounded like, I didn't do the in-person visit, but what it sounded like from the description of it is it's not something that would be workable and it would be something I'd have to be stuck with if I did get that job there. That's that's pretty unfortunate. And I actually have, a, I have an anecdote with that. Um, that I, I heard college, I'm not going to name what college or, or who was running it, but there was also an interim director um, the, before they had hired someone for it. Um, and, uh, they, they, <laughs> they, they specked out an arena, 
um, retrofitted a room for it. Uh, and then they decided, that the interim director decided that they wanted to go for aesthetics first rather than, I, I suppose, viability or competitive yeah, yeah. viability. Um, so they got the gaming chairs. They, they shelled out money for Alienware PCs so that they all looked the same. Um, and the kids went in first day, sat down uh, for the first day and uh, played on 60 hertz monitors. So yeah. um, that's, I'm that's like, a lot of stuff like that too. Yeah, and, and, and like, I, can't, I, I cannot stress enough how much... How, how big of an impact uh, it, it makes on your uh, facility if you're if you're a brand new collegiate director or an interim collegiate director or if you are someone listening that is in collegiate that your college is looking to build a new esports program please 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 do your research on the arena and on the tech in that arena because you don't want if you want your team to succeed you don't want to send them out with their practice cleats right or it's like you're not going to send your football team out there with leather helmets. Like that's not that's that's not how we're playing, right? You're 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 giving them the best of if you're going to spend the money, you're going to give them the best of the best equipment to use. Now, should you spend money on a on a four foot sign to hang hang up in your arena, uh, or should you spend it on uh, 120 144 hertz monitors, right? That's kind of a no brainer. Like the the monitors are important because that's going to affect your team's play. The giant sign in the background with your with your logo is not gonna it's not gonna really affect team play. If you've got the money for both, then do both. But make sure that everything that's that's technology wise needs to be covered, or you're gonna run into a lot of issues down the line. So well, now that, now that college is stuck re- retrofitting those monitors, and Tech even bought those monitors for that room. So they didn't yeah. use just sixty hertz monitors they had on campus. They bought sixty hertz monitors from Dell to put there, and th- this it just doesn't make sense. Well, it sounds yeah. like two things happened there: is one that the university itself is disingenuous in their approach to build esports, and it is just a recruitment tool, and they let the interim director do what they you know whatever they felt that it's fine because you know it's gaming um and two i think the interim director may have overstepped and and this goes back into what we've been talking about here today is really figuring out what your plan is and troy has demonstrated today troy magnificently done in kind of hinting at sort of his planning process and how even three years it might change but being fluid and being flexible and being open to when those changes occur when you just simply put yourself in a box and say oh you know we just need 15 computers some consoles and we'll be fine and not plan for any potential growth or the flexibility of the games changing or um, the growth requiring additional staff you're kind of doomed to failure um and we we've kind of hinted at uh, you know a few schools that have uh, have gone and experienced said failure or have experienced the growing pains and just have not been able to push through it and so for troy uh the one thing i want to do is kind of change gears a little bit into one of the most fascinating things that you bring up uh over over twitter is uh your view of nace uh, and CSL and going on with Nerd Street and Mainline. Um, as I know, you've been very vocal uh, in the past. And we're talking about conferences. We're talking about all of that too earlier. What's your view uh, on these conferences that are coming about? And do you think as well um, NACE has gone ahead and kind of learned from their mistakes? So two questions there. Yeah, I think you'll be surprised with my answer. I mean, I talked to, uh, I think it's Michael Brooks. Mm-hmm who's the head of NACE. I talked to him, I think, one or two years ago, right after I left NACE, and I was talking a lot of stuff on Twitter. And he just reached out to me. He's like, I want to do a phone call. I had a long conversation with him. Um, and I told him, you're going to end up just being 
a tournament conference. You're not going to be any kind of governing body. You're not going to be anything that's going to be able to give out regulation or help schools with scholarships or create a recruiting process. So like the high school faculty advisor isn't just bombarded all year long. All of these little things that a governing body could do. I think there's a governing body that can live in collegiate esports, but they have to do it like extremely right. They have to tiptoe through it. They can't do things like what NACE does where they say, you know, we help hand out or we provide millions and millions in scholarship. But really that scholarship money is my money. It's not their money. They just claim that they provided it. But they didn't give my school that money for me to give them that money. And that's like disingenuous. And that's like my original concern with them. But in terms of like how NACE used to operate and what how they ended up now is they would just get all these member directors, these member schools to democratically vote on what they want. And all their member schools were brand new people, a lot of brand new directors, directors that are even just new to esports in general. And when you have them voting for things, they're going to vote for things that they need immediately. They need tournaments. They need to know how to provide stuff for their students to do. And I said, when you have people voting for things that aren't even what a governing body would do, you're just going to end up being something you didn't aim to be. And then they also had some trouble with like the cease and desist from like the different publishers and whatnot. And that's a whole different conversation. But now all they are, they're just a conference. They're no different, they're no different than the ECAC, the MAC, the NAC and ECC, all these different conferences. They're just bigger now because they joined with CSL. So like NACE could have been NACE doing their own conference in competition with Upsurge and CSL and all these other different tournament organizers. I think it's smart that they combined with someone that was already doing it really well. And I think CSL was doing it really well in terms of mass division of play. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's actually hilarious. They ended up being what I assumed they were going to end up being is just a conference. And that's fine. I have no problem with NACE being just a conference and having, you know, GPA regulations and accountability for their students within that conference, that's great. They're gonna be one of the more responsible conferences, but I think they're gonna fall into a pretty big pitfall next year when they try to make people pay more money, which is what it seems like they might. So right now I'm an affiliate. A lot of people are affiliates, um, but if they ask us to pay a couple thousand come next year and their platform isn't good enough to warrant that, there's gonna be a lot of pushback and a lot of mad people. There's already mad people now, as you can tell from the Twitter, coaches polls and stuff like that <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean in in terms of the collegiate esports everybody seems to be angry um i think the one day that i wake up and everyone's happy is is, is the day that i know that i'm still dreaming um but i, I kind of like it uh because you know the little bit uh of anger can lead to it comes from a good place and yeah. it, it wants to constantly just evolve to make sure it's fair and make sure that there's opportunities for everybody and so my other question is too you know do you believe uh, that, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a new university that I have to be in a conference that I have to search for one and join one, or can I be without a conference? And I think your answer is going to be no, but I, I want to see what you, what you have to say to that. I mean, it, it goes back and forth and I'm always reevaluating, reevaluating what's going on with my team. So like I said, I have apex and apex mm -hmm. doesn't really have conferences. I can join even mm -hmm. if I wanted to. And I still see really happy players. I see really happy players being able to build camaraderie, make friends, still be within a structure that could grow. Um, they kind of have to be in a conference, but the thing is, it's going to be what your players want. So if you're at a school with really low-end players and there isn't a low-end conference for you to join, 
it's not going to be that rewarding and fun for them. So it, like uh, another example from here, I have a Counter-Strike team and they're not really able to compete with CSL or I don't remember what else they did, but they weren't competitive enough there to have it be nothing but just demoralizing losses. And they would take a semester and just train and then do it again. And they love that. That That's fine. But it's always going to be empathetically dependent to what that team wants. I think that's the biggest thing a lot of directors miss is you should be leading and be goal oriented towards the empathy of your team, not what you're trying to like think is the best ideal culture. And I'm going to push it onto others. This is goes more towards an administrator or the administrators, right? Without that director being like, okay, we want to, we want to go into esports. They're thinking very traditionally, we have to join X conference because, you know, we're in the East or in the Midwest or the West yeah. or South, you know, do you think, those administrators should just wait till the director is chosen or should they just go right into a conference? I think they should wait for sure. Uh, anyone that's doing the job for the director is going to be, yes, a little bit disingenuous. Um, and also for the most part, like in a realistic sense, if you're joining and you're going to be underneath athletics as compared to like student rec or something like that, an athletics director is going to think there's, you have to be in a conference. Right. I, I mean, even when mm -hmm. I came in here, I joined yeah. a conference that's local and my, my school is athletic division three and they play a lot of local schools. And I came in and a lot of those local schools were starting esports programs and they made their own little small esports conference. I joined that and we were, I don't want to sound like pretentious or a dick or anything, but we were really, really good. And we were so good to where it, my players, it felt like it was a waste of time to play in that. And I didn't have, JV players or anything like to have play instead. So I wanted to get out of that conference. And for me, even asking the question to get out of that conference, it was a huge like, no, no, like my, my yeah. director was not about that because those are relationships that they have with each other. This is relationships that I am naive about, right? They, they've, they have 20, 30 year long relationships with football or basketball or something like that. And esports is beginning to join that. So there's a little bit of like a director won't have a say in it, an esports director, just because you're starting to join those historic friendships that you're new to, that we're going to be new to. But at the same time, my director's learning that, you know, these conferences are just different for us. We don't have to be as local as they have to be. We can play our online conferences nationally and then go to like a regional LAN or something like that. Uh, there's a learning curve happening. Yeah, I was going to say, how long do you think that learning curve, you know, takes or better yet, how do you think is what would you say is the best way to help educate that athletic director that uh, esports is different than traditional sports and not as cut and dry, nor does it have to really hold on to those um, old relationships because it's ever evolving. There's there's more specific, better esports conferences to be a part of for competition. Like how would you go about or how would you tell a young esports director to talk to their athletic director about how this change needs to occur and why it is? Yeah, I think it's a really complicated answer. Like, yes, I could just say, here's how you should be talking. Here's some stats you should pull up. Here's something yep. like to help ease him into it. Yep. But the realistic sense of it is you're going to have a boss. He's going to be authority to you. He's going to be making some decisions that you either agree with or don't. And what you're looking for is to have a complete turnaround and proving your turnaround or proving your side. But what's healthily should happen is you're going to eventually find a middle ground and the middle ground takes time. And it also takes 
uh, not being insubordinate like in any way. So if your athletic director, whoever your director boss is, if they tell you to do something and you see that you can't say otherwise, you should go along with it. Like you should never push back. You should go along with it, get the facts of like what's going wrong and what could be changed and why it's wrong and actually have actual more so like evidence and argument to bring to them rather than just pure assumptions. Cause they're not, they're not going to take your word for it. And especially if you do well with all the other things you need to do, just running the program, doing random logistical things, recruiting. And this is like year long, finding a middle ground type thing. At least in my example, and I teach this a lot, like all types of different conversations within my program. So like player to coach or student worker to point of contact, stuff like that. Finding the middle ground is like a great, great skill to have because it's how you find an actual solution that's like workable between Absolutely. the two people. Yeah. Yeah. So and, it's 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 not able to be a direct timeline. It's not able to be right. a direct conversation. It's going to be, uh, I guess, the theme of like everything I'm saying is like you have to have a lot of empathy for why it is they're saying what they want to say. You got to trust it a little bit, especially if they're your authority. And then you go along and you start gathering, especially like written evidence and timestamps and you know, yeah. the chronology of everything that's happening and bringing it to them for the change that you want. And maybe sometimes you figure out, you know, I was naive and what I actually wanted wasn't the best choice. And this is actually working out really well. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, I definitely like that answer. And I, I like that, that, that walkthrough because um, most directors, their first thought is I know esports. you know, you don't, you don't yeah. know what you're doing. <laughs> and, and so it is, they're going and they're fighting up an uphill battle, but you do need to do what your university is asking you to do. And, you know, that is going to be recruitment. That is going to be fundraising. And you have to get that. Once you get those safety checks that the green light is on, everything else in terms of conversation becomes easier. And that's exactly. what you need to do first. You can't just tell them, no, they're wrong because you don't know about video gaming. That's not going to work. But if you if you do the first two things, your conversation becomes easier. And I agree with you, Troy. You need to show research as well. You can't just say, well, because I know esports. First off, I'm concerned that you just said that because we know we, we know esports in a general sense. But what do you specifically mean? And, and you need to also break that down for your director without all the jargon attached to it and things that they can comprehend and digest. Uh, but Andy, I'm going to kick it to you to see if you got any questions for Troy. As I, we've kind of had the floor for a little bit. Sure, I you know in fact I was I was waiting to jump in here because I do want to move on to one of my favorite segments and a little early because I feel like there's so much to digest with uh, Troy. Uh, Troy, we do a little segment um, with the podcast towards the end uh, where we look towards uh, our guests' Twitter accounts. And I know we discussed Twitter a little bit earlier, but we always go ahead and ask for some extra context uh, (laughs) for specific posts. So I'm going to be very, very easy on you. I promise. Um, So, so the first one, we'll start with a light and fun one. I want you to explain the tweet that you came out with. uh, I want to say it was last week. Maybe it was this week, October 3rd. So yeah, Sunday Uh, support your local frat hot dog salesman. And it's a picture of you <laughs> posted right next to uh, a kid with a hot dog costume, and I assume you're holding some hot dogs. Can you? Can we have some context around that? Just like I that actually, yeah, yeah. That's actually one of my star Valorant players, and he. Oh, that's awesome. 
he's he came here very academic minded and he talks to me very often because he wants to get into esports. He wants his degree to be relevant towards it. Um, and he just talks to me about like all the options he has. But like first off, he wants to try to go pro in Valorant. He's very close to Radiant. He grinds really, really hard. Um, I kind of base the varsity team based on his schedule a little bit because he's the one who wants to put the most effort and the yeah. others. You know, some of them want to put as much, but the majority of them don't want to put as much. So I have it being only like 10 hours a week of their time so he can spend time with his amateur teams or grinding out Radiant while still keeping his academics up. Um, but yeah, I, I found out he's also in a frat and like 10 other of my students are in a frat as well. And they were selling hot dogs to raise money for, <laughs> I don't remember what it was, but it was a good idea. They probably bought those hot dogs really cheap. Yeah, they probably, probably made quadruple or <laughs> 10 times the amount of what they bought those hot dogs for. And they're pretty good hot dogs too. And it was just hilarious because this player, uh, every time I see him in the hall, he was actually in here earlier and I had to shoe him out earlier. Oh, that was uh, him. But, ah, just, but just like when I see him, it's, uh, he has this presence where it's like, he's just so goofy and you gotta, you gotta just <laughs> smile and you can't not smile. So, so the yeah, hot dog, just, the hot dog it was costume. Extra hilarious yeah. <laughs> seeing him in a hot dog costume. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And also, also posts like that. I'm trying to do that on purpose to make people think that I'm not a complete asshole. Like I do that <laughs> intentionally because I, I'm starting to notice I complain too much and I criticize too much and there's too much negative coming out of me. So I, I try to put some more like positive stuff in there, random stuff in there. And, uh, cause I'm starting to realize like, my Twitter is starting to become a big persona about me because I went to Hugh Fest and I also went to St. Louis and like in St. Louis, some of you guys knew me and I was like, crap, I didn't know people actually know me. And then I went to Hugh yep. Fest and every single director knew me. And I was surprised by that because some of them, I was looking up to them and wanting to talk to them about things that they do, but they already knew me and it was a huge surprise. So now I have to be so cautious and so tactful in what it is I do. I can't just spout off random stuff all the time like and I so, used to. And that's really interesting to hear about because when I first started seeing your tweets and seeing just how uh, how out there, I'm not going to say out there, but you know what I mean? You know, uh, maybe I unfiltered, know. right? <laughs> I, I was like, man, this guy must really be confident in his brand. <laughs> like you were playing, you were playing the exact opposite in your head. But to me, uh, outwardly, I was like, geez, this guy must have a plan of attack with his brand. Like his college must be like hundred percent on board with him or his university. Um, and not worried about his employers at all because this guy just goes off on Twitter. That was my I, I'm really question. lucky to, to cut into that. I'm really lucky I do so well with my recruits and my players love me. And sometimes I'm very competitive. Uh, and most of the departments I have to work with, so like controllers, marketing, IT, they, they all like me a lot. I, not to sound like, you know, some guy that, you know, everyone likes him, but I, I don't have like people that don't like working with me. I'm, I'm empathetic all around. I don't try to cause too much work for anybody. I'm appreciative of all the work they do for me. So... Yeah, if I wasn't, if I had my online persona and my in-person persona, I'd be gone. I'd just be, I, I would, I would be fired. I know that there's, for a fact. There's a, there's a certain point where it stops being luck, Troy. You know that, right? It's, 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 it's your, it's your personality. People like you. You're a good person. Don't get me wrong. Come on. <laughs> Give yourself some credit. Thank he you. just um, spits too much. He just just spits too much truth, or you know, what he whatever's on his mind. That's all it is. All it's it so is. funny because I, I don't know if I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the Adam Antor episode, but we talk with him a little bit about you. I think you come up in that conversation a little bit um, about how like we want to eventually have a podcast where 
um, you know, we have more than one guest on and we can discuss things like NACE or discuss things, you know, hot topic things that, that'll, that'll promote discussion and then eventually come out with a conclusion. It would ruin me. <laughs> well, no. Like if I had to be on with like the St. Clair guy, I haven't met him yet, but mm-hmm. uh, everyone's waiting for me and him to talk. I wonder if I, if, I, mean, if I, I wonder if, the, if this would be a good place to have that conversation. Oh, but, man. I but, don't know if I'd agree to it. I don't now, know. Now I'm starting to, but no, but uh, you know, my, my point is with that is that it sounds like, you know, the conversations that we can potentially have here on this platform are probably going to be a little bit more civil, but still more, a, a bit more raw than we would be yeah. on Twitter, in my opinion. And that's like, that's kind of why it's around. Like that, that, it's purely for my entertainment sake, so that I can listen to people bicker. No, I'm just kidding. It's because I want to grow <laughs> the the collegiate high school esports scenes. But um, yeah. So anyway, I want to move on to one more tweet before uh, we have to wrap up here. Um, and I and I don't know if you can just straight up say who this tweet is about, but I'm going to ask anyway. Uh, on September 23rd, you wrote. Damn it, there needs to be someone regulating these divisions of play across collegiate esports conferences. We kind of discussed this earlier. Winning a small uh, equivalent to a Division three championship and being taken as if you're the best in the nation slash region is so scummy. Esports outsiders would just believe it too, dot, dot, dot. There's no way I can say who this is oh, about. And, that, and that's okay. Then, then, then you don't have to, but we can discuss okay, the topic will, a little bit. Oh, man. Here, here's I what I'll say. I can't even allude to it, I don't I, think. I'll give, you, I'll give you some time to think about how you want to approach it by saying that I agree with you. There are a lot of instances, and even it even kind of happens yeah. in the scholastic space as well, whereas like, it, now you've got more than one governing body trying to take over the high school esports realm. And so like in Illinois, for instance, for me, I consider a state champion someone who wins the IHSEA because not only has it been the longest running tournament in Illinois, but it also has the most amount of participants. But that being said, a company like Play Versus comes in and has a state championship, quote unquote, across the nation and a bracket of 15 League of Legends teams. And the person who comes out of that is a League of Legends state champion. Well, to me, that that doesn't seem like it's the same caliber of competition, even if they do get to move on to some fancy-smancy like national bracket that doesn't make their win in in Illinois any better. And so, like, and and the the I think that's great for play versus because then they say, well, if you want this championship, then come join us and prove it. You know, I that is that's that's the kind of the the scummy part about the the kind of additional layer of of scummy part of this whole thing. But um, yeah. So I wanted to bring that up. If it's okay, if you can't really talk about it, but I'll give you the opportunity. It's like the, to the the guy in the school that was getting recognition. I, I like them a lot. I, yeah. I think he's one yeah. of the better directors that I've come to know. Like I, I I think really highly of Adam Antor, and this guy's like near the same caliber as him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they were just getting a lot of recognition for a really low end conference that doesn't have that many people. And it's also, it costs a lot of money to be in that conference and yeah, they win it and they get a crazy recognition from people that are completely outside of esports but are important to the real world. And right. they're just seen as like some grand, great school of Ohio. Or I gave out a little bit, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it irks you so bad. Cause it's like, I play them at a different con- conference and I, they're nothing. And that's yeah. just like the competitive side of me talking. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah no, like of course. We all get competitive and it's, it's never malicious. Um, it's all for fun. Like we're, ma- we're, we're, we're living in like a made up competitive world where like 
I don't know. That's a bit different, like philosophical thing I could talk about forever with. But competition is like it, it doesn't need to matter, and it can also matter very, very much to people. Um, and in my program, I go through like a lot of curves of you know teaching them how to choose what's important and what's not, because with competition, with grinding and getting really good, comes sacrifice. Sacrifice of a social life. Sacrifice of you know your grades or a girlfriend or boyfriend or something like that. And uh, I, I try to showcase like, do you actually want that? Right. Right. That, 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 this straight into a, a completely random thing. But yeah, I, no, I think you good. guys get the point of what I was trying to make with the tweet and that's the goal yeah. of it. And I think that's one of the one tweets where it's like, I wanted to say so much more, but that one was actually tactfully correct. Well, I, I think... didn't give me as much attention that I usually get. Like if I would call out the school and like I get the other director yelling yeah. at me and saying like, you I need think... to respect what it is we earn, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right, you know? right. and, and, and again, like it, for, for that director that may or may not know who we're talking about or for any anyone else... Um, I think that the 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 goal of the conversation that we're having is not to discredit them necessarily. It's it's to kind of give a little bit more context of what a, a win like that means, right? And also exactly. and and also how that how this conversation grows the ecosystem is we kind of have like the standardization just isn't there yet, and yeah, and and unfortunately. You know, there are a lot of different hands trying to get it to the cookie jar. And it's that same thing at the at the high school level, scholastic level, whatever you would like to call it as well, is that there are so many hands in the pot that no one really knows what is legit and what is not. So eventually we'll we'll get to a point where I, I think some of these programs or, you, you know, bodies, let's say, uh, will get weeded out a bit. Um, but I really don't, I don't know, without, without developers stepping in or... Uh, but I, I don't. I'm not even for developers stepping in because what the, historically developers stepping in has either gone really well or really, really terribly. So I don't know. Yeah. There, there's there must be some sort of solution to it. It's just not available yet. Um, and but although I do appreciate the fact that pretty much if if you're a college or high school that wants to participate in esports, you have an option. That's that's at least the good part about it. Yeah, and I'm also a hypocrite to what I said. So like, some of my games we we win in the division that we're in and they give us trophies and whatnot. And I put them out in my trophy case and I promote it on my Twitter and stuff like that. But I don't go the extra mile to try to say like best in the state or best in the nation. Right. And like literally for this small conference where there's not that many people in it and you got to pay thousands of dollars to be in it and to say you're best in the nation and then like have your marketing team at your school, try to find more people to put you on like the news and TV and stuff like that. I don't know. Yes, it's tactful and it's probably going to get them recruits and stuff like that, but it's just kind of, it comes down to marketing. It's a great, it's a great marketing ploy and and you have to give, you have to give the director and the school, you know, their credit for that. But I I would say, listen to any of the listeners that are brand new to esports and trying to learn a little bit more, um, do your due diligence, right? You know, you might see something on the news. You might see something in a magazine or a paper, do a Google search, ask some questions, right. um, connect with some people on LinkedIn and Twitter, uh, because there are too many conferences. There are too many colleges. There, there's too many tournaments. And so everyone's claiming things that, you know, is made up. It's the wild, wild west of of esports, similar to the whiskey leagues of baseball in the early 1900s. So hold your breath, hang tight, you know, and come back and listen back, uh, listen to the Blueprint podcast because we try our best. You know, sometimes we stutter and mumble a little bit, like myself, but we do our best to provide you the information that you need. And Andy, I know you want to wrap us up with the last minute. 
I do. I do. So really how we wrap up this podcast historically, Troy, is we give our guests a full 60 seconds, a minute to just go ahead and stand on a soapbox and pray to whatever you'd like to tell everyone, whatever you'd like to say, you know, what, what should people hear about in collegiate esports or scholastic esports or any advice or anything like that? We're just going to give you 60 seconds to just go off and either promote yourself or talk about you know, anything in collegiate or even just give some good advice. Um, most people aren't really ready for this kind of stuff, so uh, don't worry if you're not. But I'm going to go ahead and give you 60 seconds starting now. Go for it. Yeah, I, I'm just going to go ahead and assume like the majority of people that are watching this are probably working type people, people like myself, because I'm always looking for a podcast to listen to and whatnot. And I am going to listen to that Adam Antor one that you did. Um, <laughs> don't be don't be too sure of yourself with the job that you're doing, especially like I'm talking to new people that get into this. Yes, you can kind of have like a little bit of like understanding of what you think you need to do and how the facilities need to look, but you can easily just get one small thing wrong, like not enough mouse space on your desk, so you need to add another foot to your tables. Or if I have to have gaming chairs or don't have to have gaming chairs, every little small detail you can easily just get wrong. Use as much time as the school gives you. Be as diligent as you can be. Look up as much have your own tier list of what's important and what's not, but also have like a lot of empathy for your employer and don't fight back too much and make sure you're doing their goals. Cause doing their goals will give you a runway to do your own. I ran out of stuff to talk about. Awesome. This is an awesome Perfect. podcast though. Thanks. Hey, Thank we, you. we Thank really you. appreciate it. And with that, we're all set. We're all done. Thank you so much, Troy, for having, or for being on the podcast. We really appreciate you having, uh, uh, such a insightful, episode with us because i feel like this episode is just so packed with information that you were, you were able to give up so thank you so much for that um and uh mike we're gonna wrap this up you have any final words no i'm good i think i got my long-winded spiel out of the way earlier <laughs> all right <laughs> awesome again thank you so much this has been the blueprint powered by efuse we will see you all in two weeks bye-bye <laughs>